Hey, good morning, y'all. Again, my name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor. Thanks for joining us this morning on this Pentecost Sunday. Um, just to remind you, Pentecost is the 50-day mark after Easter. It was a, um, an ancient um, Israelite holiday of feasting where they would celebrate the, um, the first fruits of the grain. And um, uh, it is uh, our, you know, obviously look, after the death and resurrection of Christ, it is uh, very clear to us that the Lord set that up, right? Pa uh, Passover Sunday uh, at the time of Jesus' death and resurrection is the time that he won our forgiveness. Pentecost Sunday is the Sunday that reminds us to look back at that event, but also look forward to the incoming of the harvest, the fullness of the kingdom that is coming, the blessing, the fullness of the blessing that God has in store for us. So happy Pentecost Sunday. Thanks for joining us. This morning we have a special treat for you. Uh, Brian Pacheco is going to be bringing us the word this morning. Um, most of you, I think, know Brian. If you were here, I don't know, what, six months ago, uh, we sent him out. Um, Brian was telling me this morning that it feels more like seven years. That's about right, because church planter years are much like dog years. Um, although it sounds like he's a little more advanced. So instead of one to seven, he's at one to 14. Um, but since he left, um, he has been through a whirlwind of activity. So Brian, come on up. Uh, so if you don't know, Brian was, um, holy cow, with us for a decade. Yeah, uh, Helped years. us plant the church. Um, was our worship leader. I'm sure that was interesting to sit out there and, and be in this space and not be leading worship. Yeah, that was good. Um, you guys did awesome. I was yeah, worshiping with you guys this morning. And so it's, uh, I'm super excited. We, we had our elder deacon retreat this week, so both Aaron Parks and I were engaged the entire week with our elders and our deacons. Brian flew in in the middle of the night, um, got a car. Covert operation. I think he arrived sometime around 1 in the morning. Yeah, today. This morning. Um, <laughs> he and his family divided directions somewhere in the darkness of Effingham. Effingham, and uh, they'll be reunited later. But uh, we're incredibly grateful to have Brian with us this morning. Let's give him a warm welcome this morning. Thank you, brother. Hey, as Steve said, um, I am grateful to be here. In fact, I am excited. Uh, it, it was really no consequence for me to, to get up this morning and come here and be a part and preach and, and really be with the people here at this church. You guys have sent us out. You guys have been a part of our journey every step of the way. And I want to give you a little bit of insight into kind of what it's looked like these past six months as Melinda and I went over to Phoenix and, and the Lord willing, we'll plant a church there next summer. In the last six months, what have we been up to? We've been building a team. We had about 20 people come from Trailhead. Ten of them moved in January with us and another six are coming out this summer and another four stragglers will be coming out this fall. But in total, about 20 to 22 people from Illinois are coming into the Phoenix Valley just to help plant a church. And since we've been there, we have met probably 10 to 20 new families who have said, hey, we want to be a part of what you're doing here in the valley. We want to be a part of planting and starting a church that's going to reach people who know Jesus and reach people who don't know Jesus and be a community for people who want to worship him together. And so I, I want to just say your prayers, your provision, your encouragement is already bearing fruit, and it's bearing fruit in ways that I couldn't possibly have imagined when we left six months ago. But I'm going to tell you this morning, one of the things that I do and one of the things I get to do is I get to sh sit down with people and, and share stories. We get to have conversations over coffee, over meals. And, and most of my job is just getting in the community 
and meeting people, having conversations with people. And when you talk with people, when you engage people, when you have conversations, you ask them to share your story. One of the things that's going to hit you is no story is the same, but most stories have themes. Most stories have themes. And I'm going to share with you a conversation I had with a man named Wade. I got his permission this morning to use his story. And this is a story that, quite honestly, blew my mind as I sat across from him and we talked. See, Wade is one of those guys where if, if you just looked at him today, you wouldn't have no clue of the past that this guy came from. When I first met him, when I first sat down and had coffee with this guy, the first thing I noticed, he had this like funny hat on. And I was like, oh, that's odd. I don't know what this hat is about. But out in, you know, out in Phoenix, it's a little bit different than the Midwest. So everyone's kind of got their own you know, style. It's, it's not unusual to see somebody wearing something that you're like, that's a little odd. But you know, it, it kind of works out there. Everyone's just kind of trying to find themselves. So he has this like hat on. And I'm, so this is the way my brain works. When I don't know something, when I can't figure it out, I just kind of imagine things. And so I'm like, well, he's just got like a cactus on his hat. Like, that's what I thought. I was like, he's just got some kind of like plant-like figure on his hat. I didn't take notice. I just looked. I was like, I don't, I, I don't get it. That's my weird brain working, right? Like some of you guys, you're like, wait, that makes no sense. No, that's how I work. When I don't understand something, I make it up and I go forward, okay? So that was me and him, but I was interested. I was like, I'm intrigued by the man with the cactus on his hat. So he starts talking with me. And he begins to tell me, hey, I was a businessman. Like two years ago, I was killing it. I was rocking it. I was doing everything great. And he's got this wife and he's got these kids. And he's a high-power guy. He's the kind of guy who's flying, going different countries, making his way. He's doing things with his life. He is making an impact in this world. And he was a Christian at the time. And he's like, everything was great. I was soaring high. I was doing everything that you could possibly see. He's like, but I, I was a guy who, even though I was a Christian, I was most of my focus was on the things I was doing. Most of my focus was on trying to basically kill it in my job, and I, and I was, Brian. I was killing it in my job. I was doing so well, and I was getting promoted, and I was moving up, and I was moving forward, and then a moment happened. He's like, in December of 19, he's like, I was at this dinner. He shows me this picture of him and his wife at this super ritzy place, a place I would just be like, I don't even know how to dress, quite honestly, for that place, but he was there with his bride and they're there they're hanging out smiling his head he's got this smooth look the guy looks totally up to the nines he's like brian that day that day i woke up see i had a seizure that evening and as he tells the story that seizure lasted for about 35 minutes and when he came to they took him to the hospital when they got him to the hospital and they started to look inside of his brain they started to notice whoa you've got this huge tumor and it's growing, and it's impacting, and that's what's causing these seizures. We need to operate right now. And as he's sitting in the OR, and they're having the conversation with him about what this operation is actually going to entail. One, there's no definitive that they'll be able to get all of it. Two, there's likely going to be some brain damage. And three, your life expectancy is about 12 months. Here's the thing. Most of us aren't in my buddy Wade's situation. But I think all of us have those moments in life where the bottom drops out and we're stuck with the reality of, do we focus on our fear or do we focus on something else? And that's where we're going, the big idea this morning. When you focus on your fears, the result is panic, not praise. 
See, we're going to be looking at a psalm this morning, a psalm of praise. And it's really easy to just think, wow, man, everything's going well for this guy. David's got it all together. We're going to praise just like David. And not recognize praise is a byproduct of your focus. Where are you putting your eyes? Where are you looking? When you look, when you focus on your fears, the result is panic, not praise. So let's go ahead and dive into Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is a psalm of praise, like I said. It's by a man named David. If you are familiar with David, you've been in church for a while, you've heard the stories. David was king of Israel. But prior to being king of Israel, he had to become king of Israel by running away from the king. Okay? There was a man named Saul, happened to be David's father-in-law. Okay? Saul was a violent man. Saul was a man filled with fear as well. And Saul was a man who did not want to see David become king. So with that as the backdrop, let's go ahead and just read the first three verses of this psalm. Verse 1, Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. You know, as we read through this, it's very easy, right? To just, man, David's got an awesome heart. He's just a super spiritual guy. Things are clearly going well for him. You know, he's blessing, he's praising, he's boasting, he's magnifying. Think of times in your life where that's been what, you, what you've done, you've carried yourself in that manner, normally things are going well, really well. But what if I told you that he's saying this praise in one of the hardest circumstances in his life? What if I told you that this actually was of a story of, of tremendous tribulation and that this psalm comes out not of the good, not when circumstances are looking awesome, but when they're at their bleakest, if you're looking in your text, it's going to likely say Psalm 34. Right under that, the subscript, it's going to basically say something like, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech. What does that mean? Well, what that means actually comes from 1 Samuel 21. If you're interested in looking at the text, it's 1 Samuel 21, verses 10 through 12. But I'm just going to summarize it for you guys. David's on the run. King Saul, his father-in-law, wants him dead. King Saul's had a pension for throwing spears at this guy. King Saul, not the nicest king. King Saul, very fearful man. King Saul, worried to death that David's going to take the throne. Hint, David will one day. But he's not going to take it by force. So that's the first thing. He's running from his father-in-law. The second thing is David's running into a kingdom known as Gath. And Achish is the king of Gath. And Achish is the kind of guy, he's a Canaanite king. Canaanite was the area and the land of these kings who, if you were on his good side, you'd be drinking, having fun, playing cards, everything's great. But, man, that could switch in an instant. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in a position with a man who's dangerous, violent, and could and would kill you if he felt so inclined. And here's what happens. David finds out. Achish learns something of David. He learns that David's a great warrior. He learns that David's a great king in the making. He learns that he's already tackled some uh, of the Philistines. And David becomes afraid. So David, on one hand, has a father-in-law who wants to kill him. Just, just pause with me. How many of us have father-in-laws that want to kill us? Like, <laughs> it, it, we say it and it almost sounds humorous, but that's his reality. 
Think of where you're safest. Think of where you want to go right now. I want to go home, back in my bed. Yeah, imagine if you had a father-in-law there at home who wanted to kill you. Like, this is serious. It weighs on you. There's a weightiness. And this is where David's at. So David can't go home. And then secondly, when he goes to the gaff to try to get away, now he's fearful. Now he's wondering, is this king going to kill me? Guys, if David wanted to focus on his fears, he had more reason to do so than you or I. If he wanted to place his focus on his fears, he had more reason to do so than you and I, and yet his psalm does not focus on this. Why? Why does Psalm 34 begin with, I will bless the Lord? If I was writing this psalm, it might begin with, my father-in-law's a bit crazy. Dinners are hard. <laughs> right? Like how many times are, what, what's, what's coming out of our mouth is the difficulty. Here's what it is. One of the ways you know you're focusing on your fears is you're focusing on your circumstance. You're focusing on your circumstance. Man, but Brian, if you only knew my circumstance, if you only knew what I've been through, if you only knew what I've gone through, and you know what? Time and time again, when I sit across the table from people, I hear awful circumstances. I really do. I hear moments of human depravity that make me question, man, where is the Lord in all of this? And I'll tell you, when somebody has a praise-filled heart, it's never dependent upon the circumstance they're in. I have, I've seen, met, talked with people who exude praise for God. Love comes out of their heart, and they have been through some of the hardest situations. And I've also met some people who exude sheer panic. Here's the thing. Focusing on our circumstances... I understand there's going to be some of you who say, well, Brian, you know, we don't want to just gloss over life. You know, it, it, you've probably heard the saying, you can be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good, right? You're just living in church la-la land. Everything's great, and it's not. That's not what I'm talking about. Read the Psalms. David talks about his hardships. David talks about difficulties. David gets into the details of life. Here's the difference. If all we ever do is focused on circumstance. If all of our focus is on what's in front of us, then we'll never live in our hope. Of course you have to deal with life. Of course you have to move forward. Of course you have to look at the reality of the situation. But is that where all of your focus is? Here's the thing. We know this doesn't work. I could point to any one of you guys sitting in here this morning, and you know this doesn't work when you focus on your fears and the circumstance around you. It doesn't produce praise. If you're anything like me, what it tends to lead to is panic. And I've had seasons of my life where panic has ruled and reigned, and I've been a mess of no heavenly good and no earthly good at all. Because I allowed it to just sit and become where I stared. So I, I'm, I'm speaking to you this morning not as a recovering panicker, okay? I'm speaking to you. In fact, I wrote part of the sermon in an ER. God's sense of humor when he gives pastors the call to preach. 
yeah, I had some abdominal pain, was working through it, ends up I can't eat pizza, you know, it's okay. There's worse things in life. It's a hard one, though. But here's the thing, as a recovering panic addict, I, I can tell you right now, our focus has to be on something else. And look at David, guys. He's filled with hope. These first three verses, they're not, they're not, they're, they're from his heart. He's praising and here's what I began to see. It's really hard to praise when you're in a constant state of panic. It's really hard. So how? How do we do this? Looking at our text, looking, we know this doesn't work to just focus on our circumstance. We know it doesn't work. How do we live a life of praise? How do we live in our hope? Going back to my buddy Wade, as he told me about that moment in the, e, in the OR, when they, right before surgery, and he's holding his wife's hand, and he's like, Brian, the, the bottom dropped out for me. He's like, that was the one moment in this entire story where I, I, I felt like I had lost what I could grip on. All I saw was fear. All I saw was hopelessness. He said, but in that moment, literally, in that moment, he felt like the Lord met him. He says, and Brian, from that day forward, I'm being honest with you. And you looked at me straight in my eyes. I haven't feared. He's like, just to put this in perspective, this happened December of 19. He's like, if you would have put a bet on me, and he gave me this example, I'm just sharing it with you. He's like, if you would have put a bet on me, who's going to live longer, me or Kobe? Everyone's taken the bet on Kobe. Basketball star, perfect health, just retired, full life ahead of him. And then that January of 20, which kind of kicked off the whole 20 year of awfulness, he passes in a terrible, tragic helicopter accident. And Wade looked at me, he says, Brian, I'm just living in the reality that's always been. It's the same thing for you. And he looked at me. You don't know. You don't know how much time you have. He said, in that moment, I learned to put my focus on the Lord. And the result, and I see it in his life, was praise. Now, that's my, that's my story about Wade, but we're going to see that in our text too, guys. Look with me. Verse 4. When we focus on the Lord, what happens? We see the result is praise. Verse 4, it says, I sought the Lord, this is David speaking, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all of my fears. When he says he sought, you could also say he focused. He went to his God, and he believed that God, even in that moment of despair where the father-in-law is trying to kill him, the king of Gath may try to kill him, he focused on the Lord, and he believed. And here's the thing. This is what I love about David. He's honest about how difficult this is. Because here's the thing. If it was just easy to, in hard circumstance, focus on God, then we'd all do it. I wouldn't be standing up here asking you to do this with me. If that was our normal impulse, I wouldn't be sharing anything new with you. But there's a difficulty. There's a reason it's hard. There's a reason our focus tends to go on circumstance. And here's why. Verse 7 says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Those last three words, and delivers them. He doesn't deliver 
unless you need to be delivered. There's going to be circumstances that are outside of our control and overwhelm us. That's a reality. The Lord meets us in them. Verse 19 puts an even finer point on it. It says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. David's not hiding the ball here. He says, when you follow me, when you're a son or daughter of me, and you trust in me, there's still going to be affliction. There's still going to be hardship. You still live in a world where circumstances go haywire. Hopefully you don't wake up and you have something in your brain, but at some point in time, you will come across something that overwhelms you. You will come across something that completely flattens you out. And that's when the Lord delivers. And let me be clear. Deliverance doesn't look like he heals. This is where the prosperity guys go a little bit haywire and off the road. Because they say faith is what always makes sure that you get what God has for you. And what God has for you is always the best. The problem with that is what we see in Scripture is God's best for you sometimes means enduring hardship. And sometimes means dying. His own son, Jesus Christ, his most glorious moment on this earth was dying on a cross. And that's who we follow. But here's what he says, I'm with you. I'm with you. That hard circumstance you have in your life right now, the Lord is with you. That difficulty that you're enduring, that you're a little bit like, you know, this is kind of sensitive, Brian. He's with you. He's not abandoned you. He's not left you. Where's your focus? Are you looking at him? Or are you looking at all the things wrong before you? Here's the thing, you're going to know, you're going to start feeling, the more you start to focus on God, the more you start looking to the Lord, the more your faith starts to increase. And this takes time. This takes time. One thing that we can do, we can train ourselves to look. Faith is a gift from him. But I've seen in my own life that the more we start to look towards God, the more he gives us faith to do so in harder and harder circumstances. This last time, my bout at the ER, I didn't lose my mind. I didn't freak out. And I probably would have a couple years ago. No, he says to have faith. And, and here's actually a great example of this would be like a childlike faith. If I brought my four kids up here, and uh, you know, let's say they're making their way on the stage, and they jump, they stub their toe, or Calvin just lands in the baptismal because that's his want to do. He just flies around. And they got hurt. Who do you think they're looking at? mommy first <laughs> but then me right they're looking at their parents why because they believe we out of everyone else in this room will help them that's an aspect of that childlike faith and childlike does not mean childish childlike does not mean childish our god is an absolute perfect heavenly father and king and he can help, and he does deliver. So let me go ahead and land the plane with Wade, and we'll close out our time this morning. Wade, I didn't tell you where I met him. I met him at a church planting conference where we were connecting with other church planters. 
His whole life he's been driving the CEO bus, big corporations, big companies, and now he finds himself humbled as an executive pastor for a church plant only 20 minutes from ours. They're going to be sister plants with us. He's like, Brian, I, I never would have even considered this job. The pay is like a fraction of what he was making. That funny hat, that's not a hat at all, and it's not a cactus on his head. It's, a, it's for his brain cancer. That's, a, that's on me, okay? That's on me. I just, you know. And yet he looked at me, and he's like, but, but here's the thing. I have more joy today. I have more joy today than any of the successful quarters I had in my business. I have more joy today, and I have no idea when my life will end. And guys, I'm looking at him. I'm crying because my, my jaw is on the table. As I'm like, I, I just want to be around you. I just want to be like, can I just be around you, Wade? Because he has praise flowing out of him. And man, that's such an attractive quality. You want to change the world for Jesus? Be people of praise. And people are going to ask you why. How? How? Here's the thing about faith. The more you have, the more it always leads to praise. Why? I think it's because you begin to see no matter what happens in your life, he has it and he's going to use it. Okay, so where do we go? How do we do this? What does it look like to practically wrestle with these things? We, we get it now. We understand. I'm not going to focus on my fears. I'm not going to focus on circumstance. I understand that leads to panic. I'm going to focus on the Lord. But, but how do we do this? I want to address a few people that are probably sitting in our congregation this morning. The first is some of you who are literally in the grip of fear. Panic, circumstance, hardship. Things you wish weren't true that sadly are true. And that's the reality today. And maybe for some of you it's even full-blown. You've been chronically living in it this morning. My push for you is what if, rather than a change in circumstance, which you and I do not always have the power to control, but rather than a change in circumstance, we have a change in focus. We start getting an eye up to the Lord. We start looking and saying, okay, I, I, can't, I can't do this on my own. I need you to come in. I need you to reset the fear receptors in my brain because they're going crazy. What if we became a people who recognized praise was not dependent upon our circumstance, but more dependent upon our focus? Some of us in here are probably a little upset with me right now, if I'm being honest. A little bit frustrated that I would assume each of us deal with fear. Brian, I love you. I'm grateful for your friend, Wade, but I don't really have fear. And, and truly, there are some who don't exhibit a ton of fear. That's not what dominates their life. That's not what controls them. That's not what they're wrestling with. But may I make this caveat, if you will, that some in here 
you actually do have deep fear, and it's masquerading as caution and protection. And today might be the perfect time to admit that. And here's the thing, that's, that's me at times, especially with my kids. To admit, Lord, I think that's driving me more than I thought it was. Here's what I want you to do today. A simple action, but it's an action that I think is going to help us put our eyes and our focus back on the Lord. And it's the Lord that gives faith. It's the Lord that's going to increase that in you. And I trust that as you look at him, he will increase that in you. This is not one of those sermons where go and everything changes. This is more one of those marathons. Implement this, and over time, you're going to recognize and see you're not dictated by fear. Verse 8, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. If you would... Write that down and post it somewhere you're going to see it daily. If you're a single in here, put it on the bathroom and everyone else can see it. If you're married, put it on a shared bathroom. If you've got kids, do it together as a family. But, but write it down and look at it. The act of looking at that scripture, the act of reminding yourself. And here's what you're reminding yourself of. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see is not know and do. Taste and see is sit in it. Sit in it with him. Learn him. Look at him as a child looks at their parent. Look and be. And he goes on to say, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, and I love that word, who takes refuge in him. We're going to look at verse 22, kind of fleshes that out, and I don't have a slide for it, but just hear me. Verse 22, in this same psalm, says, The Lord redeems the life of a servant. None who take refuge will be condemned. Now, I know you just got done with a Romans series on chapter 8, I believe. I could be wrong. But Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation. For those in Jesus Christ. Psalm 34. Those who take refuge will not be condemned. Romans 8.1. Those who are in Christ are not condemned. Are you seeing the connection? Men and women, if you don't know Jesus, none of this works. And that's my greatest invitation for you. If you're wanting to just make it through this life... I don't know how you do it without him. I don't know how you do it without coming to knowing Jesus as your savior and king. The one you can look to and look at when, when, when life falls apart. And that's not weakness. That's honesty. That's my greatest encouragement for you this morning. If you are a son and daughter of the king of Jesus, you trust in him. This is something we get to do. And if it's not, then I invite you to meet him. Today, we're going to be having baptisms. If you've come this morning, you're like, you know what? I trust in Jesus. I know him as my king. I know him as my savior. I've never taken that step. Can I encourage you? Take that step of faith. Focus on him. Look at him. And then show the world what's really going on within you. I'm a believer. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. Awesome. Let's get baptized. 
And maybe this morning, you're just coming in, wrestling with this whole Jesus thing. Do I even believe in him? And I'm encouraged, believe in him, and then let's get baptized. There's no reason to wait. Life is short. You don't know when that moment happens. But it will. And man, you want the hope and glory of Jesus that you can look at and look to in that. Let me go ahead and pray. Close this out. Father, I thank you. I thank you that your word is so absolutely helpful and powerful today as it was when it was written. I thank you for the life of David. Here's a man who, who went through times of tremendous stress and seasons of panic and, and yet gives us an awesome example of what it looks like to just praise, to praise you. Lord, help this, this morning. Help us turn our focus not to our fear, but on you. And, and Lord, let us be, like my friend Wade, let us be a people of praise whom the world can't help but be drawn to and ask questions of. Lord, make yourself great. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.